Hello, beloved sisters. It's your girl, Marcia, here. I am so excited that you have chosen to join the Real Sisters Real Talk podcast as we journey through the Her Story of Our Lives. On this journey, we will connect and listen to the heart and heartbeat of our sisters to transform and heal the narratives that have fractured our souls. It is my hope that as you listen in, you find fresh wind, fresh fire, and fresh water that saturates your feminine soul. Good morning, my sisters. It is so wonderful to be with you in the village again. I am so happy that we could sit and meet with one another and join hand to hand and heart to heart as we just sit close to one another in these days when we find so many things that have tried to come against us. I am excited for this series. We are talking about recovering and you are familiar with the guests that we have today, which is Tina Tolles and Victoria Rush. And we are talking about what happens when sisters come together and we share our stories, especially around recovering. In the village, we often know that the best way to recover is in community with the support of one another. So I am so glad yet again to have my sisters here and sitting with me in the village to talk about not only their story, but maybe a story that speaks to the heart of each one of you who's listening. And I do pray that as you listen to the words that it ignites something within your spirit, within your soul, that it brings about a fervent fire and that each word that you hear fans into the flame. So without further ado, I'd like for you to just help me welcome Tina Tolles. Welcome, Tina and Victoria Rush. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you. Good morning. And thank you so much for allowing me to be with you today. Uh, it is always a privilege and an honor and a treat. So as I said, I ask the two of you to come to be a part of this series because you have such powerful stories and powerful voices. And as women, we know that there are so many things that we are up against. And in the first session where you all shared, which was in the B word for brokenness, you shared your stories of how you had been broken and part of your brokenness being from a place of loss, especially that of losing a child. And I know that a lot of times when we go through the processes of life, the process of grieving and the process of healing, as we talked about in the second part of our podcast with our tribe. But now let's talk about recovery. I'm so interested in knowing how did you recover and are you still recovering in this process? I know, Tina, you talked about losing your child at five and how devastating that was. And I think oftentimes it feels like a flurry of pain in our heart. But even in that space, knowing that it can choke you up sometimes, what are some of the things that help you to recover as you had to journey through your own pain? Well, good morning to our listening audience. And I guess I first need to say that recovering is a long process. And also recovering, I guess you wonder, what does recovery look like? And that is a deep thought, recovering. And it's been over 20 years, the process of recovering. So I guess the question is, what does recovery look like? And I would say it looks like peace, finally arriving at peace. I also want to let the listening audience know that in recovering, I've been recovering from several different things. And I want to share that with you. Because I'm sure 
we're all hurting for different reasons. So it started at a very young age, abandonment by both my parents. And then once I recovered from that and realized that it was their fault, it was not my fault, the abandonment, then I went to suicide. And then, of course, the death of a child. I'm recovering from divorce. I'm recovering from rape. So I may have stopped at your door with all of the above or one of the above, but just know that it does not happen overnight. It's a long process. And unfortunately, you have certain triggers that actually take you back to that event. And it's like it happened yesterday. But in everything that I've been through, the one thing that has caused more pain is the death of my child. And once I experienced that, Shonda was five years old and there was a fire at the house and she was burnt over 90% of her body. And during this journey, during this process, I finally realized, well, if you can survive the death of your child, then you can survive anything. So survival from the death of my child or the death of a loved one, but it was more severe as a child because I've lost my mother, my father, grandmother, brother, but nothing hit me like the death of my child. And I found that I just had to take one day at a time. I had to force myself to get up. I had to force myself to take a step each day because it was not only my survival, but it was survival of my husband. It was survival of my children. And so because they were depending on me, I had to get up every day and go through the motions. It's almost like you're in shock and you're just taking it one step and one day at a time. So that's how you recover. You force yourself. It's a battle like you've never fought before. And you have to force yourself because it was God's will. If it had been my will, I would have said, Lord, take me. But it was not my will. It was not my decision. It was God made. So you can survive. But I'm finding that with grief, you have to want to survive. You have to want to live again. You have to force yourself. So that means going through a daily ritual that you don't want to, but you have to. Thank you for that. You said a whole lot. And I am thankful for you setting the or laying the foundation to let other sisters know, other women know, other listeners know that we don't just recover from one thing. There's so many things attached to our recovery. And you mentioned trauma. The first part of that was trauma and the fact of how trauma travels through our lives and then appreciating and celebrating you for also letting us into other parts of your life where you mentioned suicide, divorce, and rape. And there are so many things that as women, we do recover from, we have to recover from. And I'm not going to say we always recover, but I heard you, Victoria, in agreement when Tina mentioned you have to force yourself. And I know that parts of your story is reminiscent of Tina. And so I just like to give you the opportunity to just build upon that. As I said, when she said, you just have to force yourself. And I heard Mm -hmm. you say, yes, you know, and if you could just talk more about that with our audience. If it were up to me, I would have laid down and never gotten up again. My friends like to tell me how strong I was. They would look at me and say, oh my goodness, if she could go through it, (laughs) then I know that I can. 
And I know that I wasn't doing it. It was God carrying me because my desire was to just sleep. I wanted to sleep and I didn't want to wake up. And I had to force myself. My first child lived for seven months from April to November, three days before Thanksgiving. And December 2nd is the anniversary of his funeral. So Thanksgiving is usually a thoughtful, reflective time. My second child, I miscarried. My third child was born in for nine days. And then I had other miscarriages. And by the time I had my daughter, it was hard for me to even think about celebrating her life because I had had so many losses by that time. I was just waiting for the other shoe to fall. I was waiting for God to take her to. And around the time that she was four, I had to make myself snap out of it. It's like celebrate each day because God has given her to you. She's the only child that I got to bring home. And I had to learn how to celebrate each day and stop holding my breath. One of the worst things that I thought could ever happen happened to her. And I was like, okay, you gave her to me and I couldn't even protect her. And so that just sent me back into another tailspin. And so going through that, again, I couldn't even pray. I just had to just go through the motions. It was like that fake it till you make it because I get up and I go to work and I work and I do the robotics. I do what I had to do. I do what I needed to do. And when I got home, I zombied out. And I knew I couldn't keep doing that either because I had a child who depended on me. And I thought, this is crazy. And I lost my, let's see, faith was four. I lost number five, right when my husband lost his job and my car broke down. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And Mr. My Everything Escape Man came back to town. I was wrecked. I was wrecked because I had been really rejected by my husband because the reason why he lost his job was his personal mistake. And it was thoughtless. It was selfish. It wasn't caring about us as a family or me as a wife. It wasn't a loving or cherishing reason for losing your job. And so that just turned me completely into another state. (laughs) So it's been recover. And then devastation, recovery, devastation. So like Tina said, it's a process and it doesn't look pretty. And like Marcia said, it doesn't always feel good. It hurts and it doesn't look like what we think it should look like. And I had people who were praying for me. And I know that that's how I made it through is having people who cared enough to pray for me and cared enough to call my name out because That got me through some of the times when I couldn't pray for myself, when I would have just laid down on the floor in the fetal position and stayed there. And every now and then, I just had a conversation with my daughter yesterday. And she said, Mommy, you always try to run away from things. And I said, you know, you're right. Because she had hurt my feelings. And I was like, I'm just going to leave. I'm just not coming back. Y'all don't love me. And... Even in that, I knew that my recovery, my feeling of being rejected, my feeling of being hurt, and my feeling of loss can all come back on me all at once in times when I feel that I'm not being loved well or being disrespected. So it's a process, and recovery is sometimes three steps forward, one step back, 
sometimes two steps back, but you have to stay on the wheel and you have to stay on the path of recovery because it's easy to get sidetracked. And once you get sidetracked, it's harder to get back on the right road. I'm over here just tearing up on y'all. I'm sorry. First of all, I just want to thank you, Victoria, for sharing and again, celebrate and honor you in your story and the fact that I get to sit and witness. You said so many things and I know the time that we have in our meeting in the village, it's not as long as I need because there's so many layers to what you've said and it hits in so many different spots. And so I'm just putting you both on notice. We'll have to deepen this conversation by having a number two. But in the meantime, you talked about recovery in so many different ways. And you talked about triggers or the things that reactivate us and cause us to go back into that space or for those things to rise up within us. And how we move to a place of avoidance and and we don't want to confront those things. And I think about that because in the recovery process, if I think about it from a medical standpoint, we avoid like, I don't want to take the medicine. I don't want to do this because we want to show our strength. We're avoiding some things. There are some things that's tied to that. And that takes me back to the other statement that you said about being strong. And I wanted to kind of go there because as women, and we're three Black women, for people to always say, you're such a strong Black woman or, so, or you're so strong. That feels like one of those places that reactivates us. And it also feels like there's this pressure, this onus on us, this responsibility that in the midst of whatever we're going through, as you and Tina both said, you go into the movement more, you got to move through this. But it also feels like one of those moments that stifle us because we have to be so strong that we don't get to collapse. And so in that part of recovery, that's connected to like that strong black woman syndrome. I'm just asking both of you and whoever wants to go first or Tina, you can respond. And then Victoria, how do we maneuver that? Because there's so much pressure on women that we have to be strong. We talk about our sons not showing emotion because that makes them soft. But it's interesting how as women, we shouldn't show so much emotion because then it makes us strong. And it's like, you can't crack, you can't collapse, you can't decompress, you can't just show up and say, I'm not okay. And it's okay to not be okay. How do we maneuver that so that as women, we're not wearing that always like a badge of honor, but understanding the fact and naming and claiming that today I don't want to be strong. Let us hear from you. I would say that we're not stronger than any other woman. We just learn to cope and deal day to day. And I learned to pray. I learned to ask God for what I wanted. I needed God to restore my joy, restore my peace, perfect peace in the name of Jesus. So it wasn't me being strong. It was who I was leaning upon. And I was leaning on God and believing that there was a reason that I had gone through so many tragedies that I was broken, beautifully broken, so that I could minister to others, which at the time when you're going through it, you don't think about that. But I've learned over the years, I'm 68 years old, and I've learned over the years that there's a reason. We don't understand it. My grandma used to say, we'll understand it by and by. And I was not happy with that because I didn't want to understand it by and by. I wanted to know 
Why? Why me, God? Which is a question we all ask at a time when we're going through such tragedies. And I've learned that, again, we are not always strong, but we learn to put our faith in God. We learn to deal with it day to day. I can remember thinking, I'm an actor now and I ought to be able to get an award because I'm going through this and I'm smiling, but inside, my heart is broken. Inside, I'm feeling so devastated. So when people would say you're strong, I would have to respond with, no, it's not me, it's God. Because God is leading me and guiding me and directing me and giving me the strength to make it through each day, to know that he has not left me, he is still there with me, but that we all must endure some trials and tribulations because how would you know what it's like to have a testimony of what it's like to be barefooted, hungry, homeless, if we've never been through anything? So I think in this life, we are put here to actually aid and assist others who are broken. And so if we're going to minister to them, then we must have some pain. We must deal with tragedy. We must deal with grief, as I said, which has been the hardest thing for me to deal with. And I've learned that you have to treat your pain. You have to treat your grief as an unwelcome visitor. You have to be willing to say, no, leave. I don't want this anymore. I want to be happy. In order to find happiness, you have to want to live again. You have to want to be happy again. You have to give yourself permission to be happy. And that's what I didn't do over the years in dealing with everything. I kind of let everything compile upon me. And I didn't deal with each one individually. And that's what you have to learn to do. Whatever your pain, whatever you're going through, you have to learn to prioritize. Put it in order of importance and leave some things to deal with tomorrow. We have a tendency to go into overload because we're trying to deal with everything instead of delegating some responsibilities to other people, instead of putting things on, I'll say, another place to deal with tomorrow. So if we learn to do those things, to prioritize, then we can get through whatever the tragedy may be, whatever the pain may be. Deal with what you can deal with that day and put the rest of it on another day. I do hope that makes sense because that's the only way we can survive is if we delegate and deal with things in order of importance. It answers questions, but it it leaves many more questions. and. I don't know how, you know, I think for me, it's like, how does one prioritize their pain? What inside of your pain do you get to delegate to someone else? But I also think about, and I know that we are all women of faith and we have our faith in our foundation is in God. But there are listeners here who have been hurt by the church. Go ahead, Victoria. I saw you, you know. (laughs) <laughs> I can see you. Please speak. I can rest my statement and share the floor with you by all means, my sister. Speak. When I was processing or delegating pain, and it hit me viscerally because for me, delegating has often led to re-traumatizing because I began to, to feel and know that there was no one really that I could turn to, even the most well-meaning people. But I believe that if we re-delegate our pain, if we 
share our pain. Sometimes it cannot be a tangible person. It's like, Holy Spirit, I need for you to take this because I can't. I got a big old box of candy even, Lord, and I need you to take this now. So when she said, re-delegate, and I just, you know, I look around my house and I look around my life and I go, hmm, <laughs> oftentimes in my life, as much as there's something that my daughter couldn't handle, she couldn't carry it. She's my baby, but there were n- nobody else. Like when I lost my children, my father told me, well, they didn't count because they were never born. I couldn't share that with him. If I mentioned my firstborn, who is a boy, Carlos Ramon, if I mentioned my firstborn, my father would get angry. And he said, you're just saying that to hurt me because you know how much I love that boy. Why would you try to hurt me? And so I knew that I couldn't share that with my father. I couldn't talk. The man that I could talk to about everything, I couldn't talk to him about my firstborn. And at the time, I didn't even know if I could have more children or if they would have the same issues. So sometimes we look strong, not when we're being strong, but when we are remaining silent and just trying to make it through, just struggling, even coming in on broken pieces, even, but struggling just to make it. And people think that that's strength. And it's like, no, that's not strength. That's me fully relying on God. The strength that you see is not me. But through it all, if we learn to put our faith in God, through it all, I think Tina came short of saying, without a test, there is no testimony. So you have to. I know that some things are for our making and some things are for sharing. My girlfriend who stood there with me at one of my baby's funerals. And she just kept looking at me and I barely remember who was there. I barely remember anything, but we were pregnant at the same time. And my baby was born in April and her baby was born in July and her daughter ended up with juvenile diabetes and she had some traumas and she eventually passed away at 22. And so when I had just imagined Ramon and Simone going to prom together and doing things together, and she had her daughter for 20-some years, but then when she died, she said, wait a minute, my friends went through this and they survived. And if they went through this and survived, then I can too. So that again, my pain wasn't in vain. Because I was able to help her through something that I didn't even know I was helping her through and didn't even know at the time that it would be something that she would go through. Thank you for sharing that powerful story. We all have a story and that's the beauty of it. If we don't sit inside the danger of a single story, which is just ours, but what you're showing Victoria and sharing through your story and Tina sharing through her story is that we sit inside of that and just remain silent. We don't get the opportunity to let others know what we've gone through, but at the same time, identifying who are those safe people? Where are those safe spaces that we can disrobe and be be naked and not ashamed, where we can unmask ourselves, unmask ourselves in our pain and really just admit, I might look strong, but that's just perception. I am breaking on the inside and knowing that it's okay. Because we all grieve something every day in our life. Because grieving is really 
about loss, what we're losing. And, you know, you brought it home because the biggest thing that I know rests with me is being able to feel safe. And I've often felt safe with letting people in my life. I mean, the both of you know me very well and I'm guarded because pain and hurt and repetitive pain and hurt that we go through as women, as men, as children, you know, childhood trauma, all of those things make us put a little gangster in with our spirituality to say, you're not going to get past me. You know, you're not going to get to me. But also realizing that gangster that we put inside of us sometimes is that very blockade that walls people out. And we do have to guard our hearts, but we also have to discern. And I think for me, there are times when people can be very hurtful and volatile in their language and to then try and make you feel like you've done something against them. And it really doesn't acknowledge the pain or the moment that you're in. So again, I want to thank you for that. For me, one of the questions that continues to linger is broken faith. There are so many women and individuals out here who either have known God and have blamed God. And so their faith is broken and they blame God or people tell them, you know, I remember there was someone who said, I was supposed to go through this because, but how do we get people, especially if you have broken faith, I think it's always a difficult place to be in to say, God willed this for our life. Then on the other hand, we kind of contradict it because it feels volatile to somebody. So when my mother passed away and they say, oh, that was God's will. And it goes against the word and the will of God or the word of God. And so we get a little angry with God. It's like, how do we reconcile that statement? Number one. Number two, people who have broken faith, how do we talk to them to help them recover? And number three, for those who just say, I'm not where you are right now. I'm human. I'm not ready to acknowledge God or I have a belief, but I'm not ready to acknowledge God or to say I've really crossed over the aisle. And so there's a set of people who are going through the same things that we're talking about today. And they don't really have a belief in God because they feel so broken that how can a God allow so much to happen to them if this loving God was truly a loving God? What is the language that we begin to use to help them maneuver or navigate those spaces in their lives without feeling like we're superimposing or not being inclusive in our conversation? What do we do? How do we show up? What do we say to them? Those who have broken faith and just don't want no parts of anything else that's attached (laughs) to faith. Well, I would say if you're not where we are in believing and having faith in God, it goes back to my statement on delegating. You have to reach out to someone who's on the level that you are. You have to seek help. If you find that there's no family member that you can discuss the situation with, that's the time you find a support group, a support group that you can share your innermost feelings with. It may be, you may have to go to a support group that is dealing with the death or the rape or whatever your situation may be, because you can't reach out to your pastor. You don't believe in God then you still have to get some kind of support system going. If you're going to survive the situation and not be stuck there, then you have to reach out to someone who's walking in your footsteps, who understands where you are, what you're going through, 
and what needs to be done. And that may be seeking a psychiatrist, seeking a friend even who's walking in your footsteps. Victoria was talking about her friend that experienced the death. We don't understand why we're going through, but I can identify with the same situation that my sister lost two of her children. And so that made me kind of understand why it happened to me so that I could minister to someone else. I have to go back to beautifully broken so that you can minister to others. There's somebody out there just walking in your footsteps. So you have to reach out. You cannot carry it, internalize it and keep it to yourself. You will need some type of support system. I agree. I mean, I know that for a moment I was in counseling. And then I started going to a grief counseling. It was after, wasn't after one of the losses. It was at a time when I was questioning again, but I went to grief counseling in Akron. It was at Pastor Joy Johnson's church where nobody really knew me. So I could be completely open and tell all my business and what happened in the session, stayed in the session. So that was beneficial. But then I did shop therapy after that and ended up at Rolling Acres Mall, <laughs> which increased my debt, which caused a whole nother issue. Yes, but you do need someone that you can reach out to. But then just like my song, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve him. And it seems unfair what happened with my daughter after having all those losses, what happened to my daughter. But she was a precocious child. She was advanced. She could speak and she was intelligent. And so she could say what was happening to her at an age where I think the person who was abusing her did not realize that she was at the level that she was. So when she was able to tell us what was going on, we were able to stop it. And I was like, why? Why my child? But it probably had been happening to other children, but they couldn't tell. It had to happen to my daughter because she could tell and that person could be stopped. So there are times when we go through things and in the moment, we can't see it as we're in the middle of the forest. But then when you step back, you can look at it and go, okay, it was for my making. It was for my good. It was for my strength. My losing my other children made me cherish this child so much more. And I know I get annoying because she'll be 22 soon. And it's like, I'm still <laughs> holding on. <laughs> but I cherish the time with her and I cherish being with her and parenting her because I know what it's like to lose a child. I think I watch people take their children for granted, call them out their names and just be very disrespectful to them. Even with me being at the job that I am, I'm a youth care worker for homeless runaway, throwaway children. And I hear those kids talking to their parents and some of the things the parents say to them. And it's like, they had no value. They do not value their children, but I probably would be the same way, or I wouldn't value my child as much as I do had I not had the losses that I had. I think for me, what I'm hearing and what I know, it just reminds me of when we see our situations, there's ways that we can look at them and we can either look at them as a moment to try and destroy us or as destructive moment, where, as you said, we can step back and go through what we have to go through. We have to go through our going throughs because part of pain 
is maturing us. Part of pain is lessons and so many other things that we go through, you know, and if I put it to the the place of our faith and what the Bible says is troubles is going to be there, but we can rest assured that troubles don't last always. Right. The book of Peter reminds us that we shouldn't think it's strange, the things that we go through, because not only are we going through it, but countless others are going through it too. But there's a promise inside of that as what you and Tina have been really referencing is the fact that after we go through our going throughs, there's a point of it's complete. We're established Mm -hmm. and God can do some things in our lives by no means. And I want every listener to know is that by no means are we saying that it happens overnight. The purpose of this sister speak today for the women meeting in the village is to remind you that where you are right now is probably where you need to be. And when you think about how you have to go through your pain, as Tina said, you just take what you can handle for the day. And handling it for the day may mean, you know what, today I just cry. Today, I just look up around the room and I just, I know for me, one day I just thought I was going to be a cussing queen, knowing I can't cuss for nothing. (laughs) But at the same time, that was my moment. It was a moment of whatever it felt like had to just say, this is what I feel and be honest with it. And sometimes, you know, some of us just kind of sit back, but write down how you feel. But just know that in the moment of not being okay, it's okay to not be okay. We all come in on broken pieces at some point in time in our life. But what I love about broken pieces, especially when we lean into the scripture of I am the potter and you are the clay that the way that the clay is strengthened, it's strengthened by the broken shards that the potter puts into the thing that he's molding at that time. And so I just want to encourage you, whether you are a person of faith, a person who is not of faith and saying, I'm not where you are, what we want you to hear in your heart is that the pain that you're experiencing today doesn't last always. There's a saying that this author wrote, and he said, Pain is inevitable, but how you choose to suffer through that pain is up to you. And as Tina said, we do get to get up in our grieving process. We do get to get up and say, you know what? I know I've been here. And we don't let grief turn into depression. We don't let grief continue to be the guide of our lives, but we get up inside of our grief and we start looking at as we get stronger, some of the gifts inside of that grief. And it's often a difficult space, but that's why as women or as individuals, we have to be able to find that person who we can share our hearts with. That person who says, I know what you've been through, but also that silent person who says, because I know what you've been through, as my son used to say, I'm going to shut the mouth. (laughs) Because not everybody needs to hear your words. They just need to hear you breathe. And so as we begin to wrap up this first part of our conversation, I'd like to give you both an opportunity to have some closing remarks, some closing words, words of encouragement. You know, what would you like to offer as a gift to the listeners to just help them, even if it's just carrying them through this day, through the second, through the moment, through the minute, just showing some gratitude and love. What would you say to our listeners in their point of recovery? I would like to share coping skills that worked for me, not saying it'll work for everybody, but of course, 
asking for what you need and what you want. And that was asking for perfect peace to remove the hurt and pain. Also, learn to acknowledge what you're feeling and it's okay, but don't stay there. I believe that you can actually tell what you're thinking, what you're feeling. We feel the pain, but don't stay there. Uh, There are some happy memories that you must have. When a loved one dies, they may leave us, but they stay tucked within our hearts. The memories are always there. So go back to some happy memories that you had. I use music. I love music. And so therefore, I listen to music that is uplifting to me. I try to use music as a coping skill. We don't stay in that moment of the dark thought. You have to force yourself. This is a battle like you've never fought before. But know that you're not the first and you're not the last. Talk to yourself and try to figure out what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. And then change the record is what I would say. Change the mood and move on to something else. Don't stay stuck there because it's critical that you keep moving. Because we all want to just crawl up in our beds and cover our heads, but we can't do that. So learn what helps you. As I said, prayer, music, doing what you love to do, which is, I love to shop. So when I found that I was feeling some kind of way and couldn't quite put my finger on it, I'd have to move to a different spot, a different level, a different location to get me out of that mood. So learn what works for you and use it often because if not, you stay stuck in your pain and you don't want to stay stuck there. You have to move. That's what it's all about, moving and moving to the next level. And you'll find if you practice that, that each day gets a little bit easier. You'll find that you want to live again and that you want to smile again. You want to be happy, but it's about coping and dealing with each emotion and whatever uplifts you. Definitely have to piggyback on that because when you rehearse the hurt, then it becomes embedded. You can acknowledge the hurt, but replace it with a positive. If a negative thought comes, you hear that thought and then you push it out with something positive. You don't try to reject the hurt or reject the negative thought because then that's not being true to the reality of your life at this moment. But it's like, yes, yes, I am angry. I could chew nails, but I'm not going to stay angry. And that there are other things that are more worthwhile than this feeling or even this person who is helping me create this mood or this feeling. So replace negative feelings with positive ones. Acknowledge the hurt, acknowledge the pain. That's real. And don't let people churchify you or make you feel guilty because you're angry or because you're hurt or because you're sad. Yes, you're sad and that's where you are right now, but you're not gonna be there always. And if you keep moving, It reminds me of when I'm driving on the highway and there's a downpour, it's a heavy downpour. Some people are pulling over to the side of the road, but 
but they're staying in the downpour. I slow down and keep driving. And eventually I come out of the rain and I can look back. It's still behind me, but I've got blue skies and sunshine in front of me. If you keep moving, you might have to slow down. You might have to take it one minute at a time, one step at a time, but just strength for the moment, strength for today. And know that tomorrow there's an opportunity for change. There's an opportunity for growth. There's an opportunity for things to be better. So just make it through this moment. If you get through this moment, that you'll be able to eventually look back and see the storm you left behind you. But you're going to be in a brighter, beautiful day. Thank you for that. Those were such beautiful words. And I pray that each person who has heard those words begin to set the intent inside of their pain that I do get to move forward because when I do look back, I'm reminded of what I've come through and no longer am I just letting my pain create my storm. But because I've made it through, I've learned how to dance in my storm. I thank you both. I love you immensely. I wish that you have a wonderful day filled with abundant joy. Until we meet again, I love you. Love you too. And thank you.